0: And welcome to episode one hundred ninety-six of Smarts, which, as you know, stands for Shields Marvelous Agents Return to Screens. Ooh! Oh, ho, ho, ho. I am your host, Julia Guglia of Internet Fame, a dash podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, A.K.A. Rudiger Q. Podcaster.
1: Hello. Hi. So the only news we have this week is uh, the news from today. Mm-hmm. Of the latest Apple announcements at Apple's uh, Worldwide Developers Conference mm-hmm. in San Pedro, Juan Francisco, Jose. <laughs> That's it. That's what I'm looking there for. Go. One Good of those job. names. Um, yeah. So uh, pretty packed. Pretty packed thing. It actually went over the the regular standard two hour runtime that these things normally are. Um, so some minor, I guess, updates to TVOS. The home screen got a refresh shows you, like, live previews in the background. So it's it's, it's what everybody was asking for, was autoplay videos on their home screen, I suppose. Mm. Um, But I imagine it will play without sound, I would hope. I hope. (laughs) I hope. Um, Yeah, some refreshed things here, some new underwater screensavers. Yeah, cool. Uh, Fast user switching for the entire operating system, kind of like on the Mac.
0: I am dancing for that one.
1: So that'll be handy. Um, Watch OS, got some new uh, watch faces. Mm Mm-hmm. And some new health tracking features, mm-hmm.
0: um, as did the health app.
1: Right, and those are also on the phone, um, iOS on the phone. Uh, new system-wide dark mode, so obviously the iPad gets that also. Um, some revamps to uh, photos to make it easier for the system to highlight photos that it thinks you might be interested in. Sort of weed out some of the cruft, like duplicates and like screenshots of your, you know.
0: Phone tax paperwork accident, or whatever like yeah. things that
1: you don't necessarily want to see when you're going back through your old photos So like oh what was happening a year ago it's mm-hmm. like oh here's some photo i took of where i parked like that's not what you want to see you know so it little intelligently weed those out theoretically um new features in a bunch of other apps uh, pretty much a completely from the from the ground up uh revamp of the reminders app um the ipad so the ipad sort of I don't know if you want to call it a fork or what you want to call it. I think it's, I think it's more of a marketing thing. Like they've re, i, I iOS for the iPad is now have its own name. It's called iPad OS, mm-hmm. um, which is what people were pushing for for a while because they felt like having to move in lockstep with the, uh, the iPhone, which is by far the more popular platform mm-hmm. was holding it back. Like if the, if the, designers and engineers at Apple were completely turned loose on the iPad to make it its own thing and play to its own strengths, mm-hmm. that it would be a far more powerful platform. And I'm not sure that's necessarily what's happened here because most of the, all the, pretty much all the iPad features that make sense that would work at all on the phone or on the phone too, it's just features like being able to have widgets on your home screen now and things that you can like you can drag things around it's faster to do like cut copy and paste Um, new multitasking features where it's easier to sort of switch between apps that you have in a multitasking view and have multiple windows of the same apps you could have multiple notes windows open side by side and pair those different instances of notes with other apps and multitasking you know so you could have notes paired with safari and notes paired with GarageBand or whatever. I'm going to have
0: to play around with that because if it does work, then I can already see some scenarios where it would make my personal workflow a whole lot better because I've definitely done side-by-side with like notes having to do with calendars and I wanted to schedule things and then jot down extensive notes on what it is that I'm trying to do. and, And then with Safari, I was searching for research for a script I'm working on and so I was taking a separate set of notes for that and I can just see... The utility of that going forward for me, for my own personal uh, workflow, mm-hmm. so that'll be exciting if it works. You know, like if it if it doesn't seem confusing or
1: well, it'll work. I mean, I think the I think the um, it'll be much more of a desktop paradigm mm-hmm. where you can have spaces on the Mac that have notes paired with one thing and notes paired with another thing, and those can be two separate spaces. There, there are certain collisions that can happen, like if you had Command Tab to switch. To notes, which iteration of notes would it switch you to? Like there's certain things like that that I'm sure they've thought through, but I can't, you know, sitting here right now predict how that would work. The last last one that you opened, I would assume, is what it would switch you to? Or maybe the command tab switcher shows you pairs instead mm-hmm. of just individual apps so yeah. that you know if you're switching to the pair that's notes and safari and notes or whatever i don't i'd have to wait and see how in it
0: my work. ideal scenario i'd be able to see everything and then quickly select like at a well, scan well that's when you
1: bring up the full multitasking switcher and you can see all the pairs right there but i'm saying if you hit command wow. tab to just bring up the icons i'm not sure if you ever use command tab with the keyboard to switch between you know, apps no anyway. i don't i use it very rarely also people that grew up using the mac the power, power mm-hmm. user features on the Mac are used to command tab, so that's what they brought to the iPad. But no, I normally just swipe up from the bottom or swipe along the home indicator. Same
0: thing, same um, for me.
1: The, some cool new features in Swift and AR at the end, those don't mean as much to me, mm-hmm. um, but the developers seem keen on it. And then the big the big hardware announcement that pretty much everybody predicted, because they said, uh, going on a couple of years now, that this would be a big product in 2019 is the new Mac Pro. So mm-hmm. this is their new... There's, there's, the, there's the iMac Pro, which mm-hmm. is their current highest end machine. But then there's the Mac Pro, which sits even way above that. And this is kind of a return to the classic Mac Pro, which was very customizable and configurable and easily expandable. Like Mm -hmm. the, The door slid right off of it and you could swap stuff out as opposed to the sealed... Cylinder Mac Mm -hmm. Pro from five or six years ago now that was ultimately kind of a failure They're returning more to that paradigm where it's very very customizable when you order it But also very easy to just swap things out Mm -hmm. and they make it easy for you to do that You don't need to take it to like the Apple store and have them do it for you It's very easy to swap things out and and it's so configurable and so powerful like you can max it out i don't even know so it starts at six thousand dollars which is not cheap but the iMac pro starts at five thousand so Mm -hmm. it's you know one rung above that and it's not intended for average consumers it's intended for like high-end you know video editors and you know computational workloads and things like that Mm -hmm. um i don't even know if you would expect the whole i don't think they uh, they actually intend anybody to max out all the specs on there when they build it to order. But I imagine if you did, it would probably be upwards of $20,000. It would have to be, I would think. Because you can get this thing with 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Mm -hmm. Not storage space, RAM. (laughs) That's crazy. Which is crazy. Like, you think, oh, you buy a computer, comes with like 32 gigs of RAM. Maybe you customize it up to 64. 1.5 terabytes of RAM you can get this thing customized up to. Um, It's crazy. And they uh, unveiled their new display display. which is way more expensive than the old display, but is way better. Um, I'm not sure this is necessarily intended to be, again, like the display. Because right now, it's like people would... It used to be that you would buy like a Mac Mini or something. Mm -hmm. And you would buy one of the Apple standalone displays to plug in your Mac Mini to. Or maybe if you had a laptop, but you wanted to operate it, you wanted to output to an external display, you'd buy one of the Apple displays, and they cost like $1,000 or $1,500 or whatever expensive, but in line with what you would get. But these displays... Are basically as expensive as the computer itself, and that's because these are massive 32-inch 6K displays with unreal color reproduction and contrast, and like these are these are the best displays that they could make if price were no object. Wow! Mm -hmm. So these are basically intended to be for the proest of the pro pros. Right. This is like reference for people that need reference quality, like to the like they need to know that they are getting the best color reproduction the best contrast because they are like editing major motion pictures on this Mm -hmm. or they're doing photo manipulation that's going to appear on the cover of time magazine or something and they need to know exactly how it's going to look or they need to be able to view 8k video in as close to its natural resolution as possible and so even a 4 or 5k display wouldn't suffice you know so this is not intended for even everybody that would want to buy the mac pro and it's certainly not intended to you know, for your hobbyist to buy one of these new displays and hook it up to their Mac Mini or use it to output from their iPad to watch right. TV on it or whatever. These displays are, I don't even remember how much, but they're probably five or $6,000 by themselves. Jeez. The stand for these displays costs $1,000. The oh, stand, God. like the stand is a custom part that they, you, they don't assume you're going to order because you might want to mount it or you might, right. or you might just want to run a bunch of these Mac Pros headless in a server rack somewhere. And they have an option for that too. They have a custom case mm-hmm. that you can get for your Mac Pro if you're intending to rack mount it. Cool. So, the, on on ATP, they like to refer to this sort of thing as the um, what is it? Not the it's not not the concept car, but it, it's a it's a it's a it's a fact in like the the luxury automotive world mm-hmm. um, that you you want to have like a high end car. I'm trying I'm trying to remember the the phrase for it now, but you have like a high end car that's not even there necessarily. You make it, but your expectation isn't really that anybody's going to buy it. It's just there to like exemplify your brand. You know what I mean? Right. So the people can look at that and lust after it and be like, oh man, I really want a right. Ferrari or whatever. And I'm yeah. never going to buy that one, but at least I can buy a Ferrari. But it's, right. you know, and, and like so... Like
0: Tesla has $200,000 custom ordered machines. And then there are very few people that actually buy those. But now it's made available like a $37,000 model.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't mean to say that Apple is making this and I don't think anybody's going to buy. And I'm sure they're going to sell... A lot of these, for what it is, um, to to, ver- like, to vary- industry professionals, yes, to industry who professionals of certain kinds, it, yeah. and this is this is a product that kind of needed to exist because right now, if you wanted a highly customizable professional Mac, you couldn't really get one. Like you could build to order certain configurations of the iMac Pro, but once you get it, it's sealed up, and yeah. maybe if you take it to the Apple store, they'll swap out your your RAM sticks or something, but they're not going to put yeah. like. A, a completely new processor in there, and, and add like extra hard drive bays or whatever you want. Like it's just not built to do that. Right. Um, so this this sort of customizability and power, almost with no ceiling on it, didn't really exist in the Mac lineup mm-hmm. for the past five or six years. Up and since they discontinued the old you know cheese grater towers, which this is very much made to look like. Um, so it's there as sort of the highest end option for people that really need all that extra power. And and you know you announce it in front of this developer audience because these are the kind of people, you know, people that do this kind of high-end work and people sitting there that work that are doing work for Pixar or whatever they're doing right. or, or, you know, they need this kind of thing or people that are developing new VR games or whatever. Like, you just can't... The, to the kind of sheer processing power you need to be able to code and develop in real time something like the new Star Wars VR game, you can't do on an iMac Pro as powerful as that is. You need something like this. And so far... Up until now, if people wanted to do that, they'd have to just go custom build a PC because you literally, no matter how much money you were willing to pay, even if price were no object, you could not get a Mac that was powerful enough to do certain things. And now that's no longer true. Right. So it's good to have that there in the lineup. Um, And this was the right audience to announce it to, but that's not a a terribly consumer-facing feature, although it's, you know, it's crazy powerful. And they were saying that there are certain, um, for video editing, there are certain... um, Certain workflows where you would have the, the computer up till now, like even pro workstations, would not be powerful enough to edit the raw 8K video in real time. It would need to, I forget what the term they were using, it was like a term of art in the industry that I can't remember, but it would need to basically transcode it or convert it or whatever right. to a form that you could work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you so you have to wait for that to happen because you literally could not edit the raw, the raw files off the card or off. whatever, you know, Drobo they were sitting on in real time. Um, But that's no longer true with this, with this new like afterburner card they have in there that maxes out whatever they do. You can edit up to three real-time 8K streams. And so they were showing like they were viewing an 8K video and they opened up another 8K video beside it and they were both running in real time. And they were applying... Instantly in real time, Mm -hmm. video filters and making adjustments to the video. Like, oh, what would it look like if we added like lens flare over here and we adjusted this video? And they were doing it in real time while running multiple 8K video feeds on this huge monitor. Right, and that's the kind of thing you can do in this. That's just like that would really simplify your workflow. And you don't have to wait. Oh, I need to convert these two terabytes of of raw 8K video to a format that my computer can even. Display before I edit it. And then I suppose the workflow would be after you make those changes, then they're applied to the original videos so that you can export your finished product. But here you completely cut out several parts of that workflow. So it's all very impressive. Um, But yeah, the main user-facing features, I mean, dark mode is probably the one that is the most... And that's the one they sort of headlined, basically. Like as soon as they moved over to iOS, they showed the little video of dark mode and everything. And that's going to be... That's going to be really nice. It's kind of funny that people have been clamoring for dark mode on iOS for years, but it's literally the last platform they make to get it. I mean, the watch was basically dark mode from day one. Mm-hmm. TVOS got a dark theme a couple of years ago, and then last year the Mac got a dark mode, and now finally iOS is getting it. Who would yep. have thought that it would be the, the final platform to get that? Yeah. Um, and a lot of the multitasking features. Oh, the other thing on iPads is now you can plug in a... You, they had the Files app. They've had the Files app for a year or two now, yep. and they've they really improved its power here. And now you can, because the iPad Pros have USB-C devices, uh, port instead mm-hmm. of lightning port you can plug in a usb c drive with photos or even just random files on it and it'll show up in the files app like it just it's what a concept right like computers have right. had this for 30 years but you can plug in a usb drive into your ipad pro and just view the files in the Files.
0: i are. literally wanted to do this the other day with some raw uh footage that i took some test footage on my new camera and i really wanted to plug it in and just kind of see it on my ipad in right.
1: that case though you would have needed a special app to be able to play it as video files right all to you would have seen it, yeah. all you would have seen are just the still images just yeah, like you would if you opened it in finder iPad, on a mac
0: the ipad has a raw player like a uh, uh, raw Built player in or apps. it's an app that
1: you no, can no, download no, oh there well are da- so, so that's to yeah. but um, so once those apps so once those apps um, i wouldn't be able
0: to edit the footage because that's incredibly intensive yeah. so once those the, apps
1: are updated then presumably they would know to they they would be capable of looking in the finder yeah. or, or i'm sorry the files app for files that you import that yeah. way directly DMG from a types, card yeah. and mm-hmm. and viewing them there yeah so i mean that, that's a it's, it's a, I just
0: wanted to see if they existed, you know. I just wanted yeah. to make sure that everything was okay. But, yeah, I wasn't able yeah, to that. Yeah, so you that. can view That'll files or
1: import things directly from a USB-C drive or a uh, SD card with a little SD to USB-C mm-hmm. dongle thing. So that's handy, too. That is awesome. Yeah, but that's the, that's the main points.
2: Well,
0: you forgot HomePod. Multi-user yeah, support for HomePod. Yeah, I'm I forget so the, the excited about products. that. Yeah. It doesn't make a difference to you because it's hooked up to your stuff. But then during the day, sometimes I can't use it. Yeah, so.
1: multi-user support for HomePod. Um, That's uh, exciting. Improvements to CarPlay. Mm-hmm. Um, new Siri features. They they um, they demonstrated a an improved Siri voice. Um, it's mm-hmm. hard to describe exactly the difference but when you have the cadence
0: it, is improved
1: were you there for that part like I heard they, it from they heard the other room. they heard Siri t- reading a long technical sentence and the way it works right now is basically like you hear there's there's an ever so perceptible gap or break between phonemes the way the way yes. Siri speaks now mm-hmm. um, but using this new version which uses machine learning of some kind that's like the buzzword now for everything oh yeah, we we'll use we'll use machine learning but it does something to um, basically now every it's like the words can be synthesized mm-hmm. like as, in, as, as words units, I suppose yeah. so, it, so it's, it's instead able of to,
0: a collection of phonemes that are spaced evenly apart it's going to actually I don't know better replicate how the word will sound with that collection of phonemes in the order in which they are. Yeah, I don't so know how that... It sounds, I hope that makes sense.
1: It sounds <laughs> similar. I mean, it's clearly like the same quote-unquote voice reading the same words and going up and down in all the same places. Right. It doesn't It doesn't sound any more natural in terms of its pitch or its cadence or its mm-hmm. elocution or anything like that. But the words just seem to flow more naturally because there aren't those sort of hitch, hitches yeah, every, yeah, yeah. every couple of sounds. So it, that's that's an improvement too. Yeah, so it was a lot of stuff. It was pretty packed. It was almost two and a half hours. Um, The one curious thing is that, so, I mean, obviously developer betas for all these new operating systems are available today and they all launch in the fall. That's the same as it ever was. The Mac Pro is apparently coming this fall and the public beta for iOS, for whatever reason, isn't launching for another month, which is unusual because usually they have a developer beta on day one Yep. And then a week or two later, the public beta follows. Mm-hmm. That's been the way it's been for a few years, ever since they started doing these public betas. But now it's different this time. So It's a
0: month later, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly sure why, but what were you going to say?
0: I was going to say, what did you think about the preview of the show that they're making with the Ron person?
1: <laughs> Ron person. What is well, it? Ronald D. Moore? Yes, that's. Well, guy. I was on board for that because, I mean... Yeah, that's his, right up your alley. His, Star
0: Trek and Battlestar Galactica. Well,
1: I mean, if I showed you the list of Star Trek episodes he wrote, I mean, you're you you'd you, you love Battlestar Galactica too. But basically, every good Klingon episode, for one thing, yeah. he, he wrote. Not to mention a lot of other fantastic episodes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was on board for that. So, and it, it looked good. I was I was a little surprised that I didn't see more actors that I recognized in there.
0: I was gonna say the same for, thing for one because
1: because I mean I guess it's I guess it depends on what they're trying to sell. I guess. I guess when they had the big media event a few months ago, that's when they trotted out all the stars. Like, oh, look, here's the new show that Jennifer Aniston is in. Here's Jason Momoa. Here's whatever. Whereas this show, I think they are pitching it to a bit of like a, nerdy, a nerdier audience, I suppose, because it's an audience of developers and the people watching a developer keynote, right? Mm-hmm. These are the kind of people that know Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. So like here's Ronald D. Moore's new show, you know? You probably wouldn't have wanted to lead with that at the big media event
2: right. when
1: there's... You know what I mean? Yeah. And you probably wouldn't have wanted to show a trailer for a new Jennifer Aniston show to a room full of developers necessarily. Yeah, maybe. So not, maybe yeah. there's just a question of picking Knowing the show audience. to fit the audience. Yeah. Plus, this was one of the first shows, I think, to be ordered for this for the service. I think the Jennifer Aniston show might have been a little earlier, but this was one of the first shows. So they might have wanted to pick one of the shows that was the furthest along and had the most sort of visual wow to it because mm-hmm. you can show a trailer for the Jennifer Aniston show, but it's sort <laughs> Tim of a Cook's workplace throwaway comedy,
0: comment. I saw I had access to the the f- whole first season. I'm like, wait, what? Well, I like think not this, even the whole not even the just whole his first way of pilot. pilot. That it's, he said he, the first season, like all the episodes. I was dying laughing. I was like, oh my god.
1: Well, sure, because it's like any of these shows on Netflix or whatever, where the whole season is done. It's not like they ordered a pilot and then they're like, well, let's see if we want to do more. So like, right. no, know, they ordered 13 episodes or whatever, and they were all shot together 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 and edited together and so now I think that I think that was also his way of sort of tipping his hat to the fact that you know even though we didn't we didn't really show you full trailers for any of these shows in March but rest assured some of them are completely in the can you know this isn't just vaporware right right so yeah I think that's I think that's what it was but yeah obviously I was I was excited for that already (laughs) because that's of all the shows they they talked about I mean the Jason Momoa, Alfre Woodard sort of fantasy yep. sci-fi mm-hmm. series looks good, but if I had to pick one, I mean, this is probably the one just on Ron Moore's name alone. Sure, um, I know
0: it has a lot of selling power, so because he's yeah. really good at what he does. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it was a, it was. There was a lot to behold. What did you think of the game demos? Because you're like, oh man, a game demo.
1: Well, they didn't really have any game demos. They talked about or a live demo. Or they whatever. talked. They had quotes from game developers, and they talked about the power of the Mac Pro and developing games and it and playing games and all oh, these other things. Oh,
0: that's another thing is that huge improvements for um, how a person can develop stuff. So they did a lot of work with Swift, and to make it more. Programmer friendly.
1: Yeah, I didn't fully because I'm I'm not in that
0: so world I am, at all.
1: But it certainly seemed like they had sort of like a visual yeah, way, like you important. could make changes to the the UI and a live updating preview of your app, and it would implement those. It would like that translate that huge. into code so for you. So let me
0: let me put it into geek speak just a little bit, but uh, to translate from from what the developers are feeling to what the layman might understand. So when in previous. Up until now, and including now, until this thing comes out. Right now, when you're writing in an app, you have to build it, execute it, and sure. then see whether or not you it works. You build it, and then you run it. The fact it and you say, that you oh, does can work test yeah. whether in real-time, with real-time changes, whether or not it works is so huge. It's monumental, and it's a huge time saver. Um, I just can't even... It means a lot to a lot of developers, I, let me I, put it to you that I way. I got
1: that, but it also seemed like they were dragging interface elements into the live preview of, of their app, and then it was like coding, it was like implementing mm-hmm. the code that would be necessary to make the, you know what yes, I mean? Almost that like too. a drag and drop thing, like you just make the app look the way you want it to look in this little preview window over here, right. and we will basically write the code for you to make it look that way.
0: Yes, that too. Yeah. That yeah, was the that part too.
1: that was more impressive to me. Now, it I would have no both. idea what kind of, whether that's a massive innovation or not, but it, I, I haven't seen it. So
0: that let before. me put it to you this way I it, have
1: to listen to, to do f- 15 well, different podcasts about these topics this week, and I'll be more informed about how innovative any of this is. But it seemed to me to be.
0: it's incredibly helpful now obviously like when you're writing a snippet or a sample it's a lot more impressive but when you're doing an app that has lots and lots of components and like tiers of code all piled up on top of each other and it has to work just so then a little component like that unless it fits exactly where you need it to um it might do more harm than good you you should program it by yourself but well, it, I just wanted it would be to be most useful It's really helpful because it's nice to have it there and it is it, it is impressive because when done well well first off like I, I just want to sidebar and tell you that it's gonna engage a lot of new programmers too because when you have kind of a WYSIWYG interface it's gonna engage a lot of people who don't really know a whole lot about code to kind of get interested and um, like there are lots of kids developing apps right now too, who completed the Swift playgrounds um, programs and are ready to test their hands on like real, real programs out there. You know, so lots of games that are made by kids, and that's a really cool gateway for them as well to ease their path into the to the development world. Uh, it's just it's just so cool that they brought it here because. Is it perfect? No. Can it be? No. But, but it's really, really helpful, um, and it means a lot. It's monumental, actually. I really, I oh, it's just exciting. It's it could very probably exciting. be most
1: useful if you're building an app. Out of standard interface elements. Yes, if you're exactly. doing a lot of custom yes. stuff with custom art and custom layouts mm-hmm. but and it's a fast custom way to get custom animations get started too. and stuff like that. But if you're building like a stock app that basically, like you remember all the way the original iPhone apps used to look where they were like a list view. Yes, the blue exactly. at the top and the bottom and it was a series of panels and you tap one, it would slide to the left and here'd be a new thing. You tap another thing there and it would display the...
0: Right, exactly. That's obviously
1: evolved and iOS looks very different now. But if you're building things that have standard interface elements. Exactly. Then yeah, like at least to get the skeleton of your app up and running. So you can see whether, how is the user experience? Like, does it make sense to tap on this and take it here? Does it make sense when this appears at the top and this appears at the bottom? Is it reachable when you're holding it in your hand? Things like that Mm -hmm. Um, would certainly be very useful just to get the, the basics in place. And then you could customize it from there, I would imagine.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And to have it all in real time, that's the mind-blowing part. Bah, it's very exciting, that's just so cool. It's gonna save a lot of people a lot of time, and you saw how the room of developers erupted in applause when that was presented, because it, it really is a very meaningful improvement to not have to sit there, go like, okay, I hope this build works. You've got thousands of lines of code and you have to process it. Before you find a bug, process, wait for it to build, and then test it on your your various um, windows. There, what do you what do you call them? The on the on the right, there was the picture of what a phone would look like with the app loaded onto it. What did you call what, the preview? I, I, I don't preview know the preview. Or, thing. Yeah. And then you, you know you sit there and you wait. It's just to have it instantaneously give you the feedback whether or not your stuff works and what it looks like. It, it's so powerful. It's a powerful improvement it's gonna yeah i'm excited (laughs) i'm excited for it um yeah no it was a good it was a great keynote Mm -hmm. the pieces of it that i saw
1: (laughs) should we move on to our comics of the week yes i'm ready what was your comic of the week
0: so this week i picked even though we had doomsday clock and we had heroes in crisis and both were excellent but above all that the most thing the the comic i most enjoyed was the superman um leviathan special it was really exciting it um, a collaboration, I think it, three pieces, uh, between writer and artist, like three teams well, worked on it in Bendis sequence. and Unique
1: Paquette did the did the first, first 20 piece. pages and then like another 10 or ten or 15 at the end, basically the framing sequence, everything that Clark Kent was in. Right. And then Greg Rucca and um, Mike Perkins, the creative team who are going to be doing the Lois Lane series, did the sort of 10-page sequence in the middle where she realizes something's up and calls... Wonder Woman and Batman, and talks to them.
0: Yeah, that was and great. And then
1: Matt Fraction, and I forget the name of the artist he's working on, did the more comedic uh, Jimmy Olsen sequence in Gorilla City. And then it all kind of dovetails at the end. So this was there to kick off. So following up, following from the five or six-part um, story arc in Action Comics to set up this whole thing with Leviathan taking down all the intelligence agencies in the DC Universe, this kicks off the main event miniseries that Bendis is going to be writing where things really come to a head. And it also serves as the launching point for the Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen series, which are both going to run for 12 issues Mm -hmm. over the next year. So it sort of had to do a lot of things, but it was basically just this one. It worked as this sort of self-contained story where Clark Kent basically lets himself get kidnapped to find out what's going on with Leviathan, but ends up kind of getting in over his head. And Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen both try to figure out where he is and come rescue him in the end. Yep. Yep. Yeah, nothing else to it was say. Exciting,
0: about it? no. I mean, I just really enjoyed the. I just really enjoyed all the art pieces. I think one of my favorite surprises in the issue was the quiet moments where Lois Lane was sort of realizing that something might be wrong, and she was just by herself, and then she called for him, but he didn't show up in the way she expected, and at first she was like, "Okay, no." But there was this niggling, nudging feeling that she had and that was so beautifully portrayed in just the quiet moments where she's thinking and looking around and fidgeting. And it was just really nice. I I was surprised because um, it's hard to convey in just art. And it was really, really beautifully done. And of course, anything Tom King puts to paper is beautiful. I enjoyed it thoroughly the whole way through. I thought it it flowed seamlessly from one place to another, and I could notice the changes in the art style. But but the story was just so cohesively brought together that it was really exciting to read. And it a heck of a kickoff at the end to say, hey, more coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah, it's good. gonna be great. Yeah, it
1: was very good. What was your pick? So I picked Doomsday Clock number ten. Aha. Um. This was the big issue that we've all been waiting for, where we find out exactly what Doctor Manhattan did to the DC universe and mm-hmm. why he came here and what he's been doing here and what happened when he got here and um, you know what changes did he make and how does he what's he hoping to gain? And why is he doing all this and had it all sort of laid out for us? And in addition, of course, to finding out the significance to our all the um, I'm trying to remember the name of the the guy now, but the uh, the action movie star oh, starring m- in starring in like the detective. I want to say
0: Nate. Um, or is that his on-screen persona? Nathaniel Dusk Nathaniel was, the, Dusk. was
1: the, uh, right. the character. But Carver Coleman, was that his name, yes, the actor? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so we find out the significance of all that. And it was basically that when Dr. Manhattan came here in, what was it the 40s? Nineteen thirty eight. Thirty eight. It was incredibly um, he encountered like this down. Meaningful. In his lock. Wasn't it
0: April something 1948, 38. And isn't that like when the first issue of DC Comics came out? I mean, I thought nineteen thirty eight was when it Superman was debuted.
1: Bef- it was it was April nineteen thirty eight was when Action Comics debuted, but that was obviously after he was here that he that he encountered Superman. Although I guess he could have gone back in time to to see that. But the the point is that he comes here whenever he comes here and the first guy that he encounters is this down in his luck kid who wants to be an actor. Um He's sort of fascinated by the circumstances in which he finds him, and and he doesn't really take him under his wing, but he, like, it's hard to say that he visits him every year, because from Dr. Manhattan's perspective, it's all happening simultaneously, mm-hmm. but we sort of experience uh, Carver Coleman's life through Dr. Manhattan's eyes, in a way, um, and we see, you know, his tragic end and everything and we but it's something that's been established, you know, going through all the previous issues where we see this yeah. hints of this actor and these old film noir movies that mm-hmm. people were watching like an old folks home and you're like, why are they uh, they keep coming back to this? Well it's because it's to understand this guy's life and what happened to him is crucial to understanding Dr. Manhattan's motivations, it turns out. Um and then from a fan perspective, it's fun to see Dr. Manhattan being sort of like Unstuck in quantum reality, so to speak, like all the continuity changes that happen to the DC universe, mm-hmm. he he's aware of them. And so he's like, wait a minute, Superman used to debut in 1938 and now he's debuting in 1956 and now he's debuting in 1986 mm-hmm. and now he's debuting. And so he's like, oh, there's the Golden Age, the Silver Age, post-Crisis Man of Steel, Superman Birthright, Superman Secret Origin. We see like all the different versions of Superman's origin, all the different ways his rocket looked, all the different mm-hmm. speech patterns of his parents. Like now they're talking... Like they Mm -hmm. were in nineteen fifty-six, where they're speaking in very verbose declarative sentences, and now they're talking like they would in modern age. And oh, here's when Jeff Johns did his version of the origin and put in all the Richard Donner dialogue and everything. So a little
0: nod to the Superman movie, even Yeah.
1: And the costumes changed, like, oh, it's when Dr. Manhattan removed the Justice Society from existence and now the modern heroes were colder because they didn't have that heroic they weren't part of that heroic history. And so Mm -hmm. now Superman shows up and he's a bit more he's a bit more arrogant and a bit more a bit darker and he's wearing the armor and dr manhattan's like oh i kind of like this version of superman it's easier for me to relate to him and so it's we sort of Mm -hmm. see him sort of turning the dc universe into his own little petri dish experiment um and then of course at the end superman wakes up and he's going to i guess come and confront dr manhattan which is the thing that he's been seeing with his future sight you know superman's going to come at me and that's the last thing i see i can't see any future past that um so we've got two issues left and mm-hmm. who knows how long it will be before the, we get the next one two or three months I would imagine at this mm-hmm. rate cuz it's, it's ostensibly bi-monthly but it's been each issue is delayed past that yep. generally speaking so hopefully it hopefully won't be too long but I am mm-hmm. really looking for at least to giving the creative team like it would an issue like this wouldn't really work if it was rushed well if it was like a bunch of different artists fill in artists like right. it works because it's Gary Frank drawing every page and you can see the the differences in the different versions of Superman and their costumes and stuff because it's one
2: mm-hmm.
1: person intentionally highlighting those differences and like oh here the yes. Kent the Kent's look the way they did Superman no, Superman's wearing the same jeans and black T shirt that he was wearing in John Byrne's Man of Steel origin and everything like if they bring in a bunch of fill in artists sometimes the quality can be good but it never matches and it always takes you out of it like right an exactly. issue like this is 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 all over the place enough intentionally so in time that. If every sequence was drawn by a different artist, I feel like it would be too much. Like it would be too, mm-hmm. it would be too disjointed. It would be too disconnected. I feel like. Right. So yeah. So I really enjoyed. It. Yeah, me too. So should we move on to our activity?
0: Yes, I'm ready.
1: So this week, uh, because of Doomsday Clock, I thought we would rank the Superman origins. Now I'm not. I didn't include any of the ones from the comics okay. because I don't think you've actually, ironically. Have you read a single version of his origin in the comics? Like you obviously, you haven't read Action Comics number one. You haven't read John Byrne's Man of Steel. You haven't read Birthright. You haven't read Secret Origin.
0: No, no, no.
2: The closest
1: you've come are having read certain modern stories in Rebirth where his history was was retroactively changed. But even then they didn't completely retell the origin necessarily. So these are all versions from other media because those are the ones you've been exposed to. So I've got here Superman the movie. Okay. The original Richard Donner movie, Origin. Um, Man of Steel. Okay. The recent Man of Steel movie. Uh, Superman, the Animated Series, and Smallville. Nice. So those are the four. Okay. So which of those was your favorite version of his origin?
0: No, I like Superman, the movie. Christopher Reeve, number one, definitely. Um...
1: Although Christopher Reeve wasn't actually... I, I know what you mean. That was the movie with Christopher Reeve. In right. It, but Christopher Reeve was not actually in any of the scenes. But I have to say, the way origin. they
0: spaced it out, the way they even went through the trouble, which I don't even know how they did this, but the practical special effects that they had to show a, in live action, a little baby lifting the truck, that image will never... I'm sure they just like, never, they had it
1: on a lift or something. I'm, I'm sure. sure. Just off screen. i know.
0: I know that, but isn't that wonderful movie magic? And they had a nice little child actor that held it for just long enough for them that to get That kid could shot. have been crushed. Like that that kid...
1: done. definitely not the kind of thing that you would do ha, practically ha. today.
0: Maybe not, maybe not, but that's part of the movie magic. <laughs> um,
1: Kids being crushed by cars is all ha, part of ha. that Hollywood magic.
0: Yes, haha ha. No, I'm, my point is that it's... Sometimes the old school is the best school, but my point is that it's so iconic and, and the the storytelling that they did there was so real and warm and beautiful and touching I'll never forget that so that one has a special place in my heart it has to be number one it blows everything else out of the water I hmm I enjoyed the animated one very very much I think that's my number two
1: the animated one had some interesting the designs were beautiful um yeah. the music was awesome they had the innovation of incorporating Brainiac into mm-hmm. Krypton and Superman's origin sort of making him almost like a arch-enemy from birth like a, an old nemesis of the family basically someone who was not necessarily responsible for the destruction of Krypton but perhaps could have
0: it just related to could it have, and so that could have sa- could have
1: done something it, to yeah. stop it if he hadn't been concerned with his own yeah knowledge mhm which is something that you've seen repeated in many other versions. Now is incorporating Brainiac exactly. into Krypton. It was that way on Smallville, I think, and a lot of other versions.
0: Yeah. Um. Let's see. I Man of Steel. Do you know? I can't even remember that. Um, Russell Crowe. I know. Yeah. That that was that was very Big interesting. And space then, Dragon. Giant space dragon. That was really nicely portrayed. Um, but. It was I think brief. Smallville. It was very.
1: is the most action-oriented, definitely, yeah, of all the yeah. Krypton. or Although yeah, I guess even the animated series, they had Jor-el like splunking around those Arctic caves, yeah, trying did. to mm-hmm. being attacked by creatures, and then the whole run and gun thing where yeah, the police are like... after him, and he's got to get back home and fire off the rocket. Right. Yeah. A lot of modern that versions was... incorporate like a ticking clock or like an action sequence mm-hmm. of him trying to get to the rocket and launch. As it if the time.
0: end of the planet wasn't enough of a ticking clock. But yes, I well, understand the first what you two mean.
1: thirds of Superman the movie are very slowly paced. Like I, I love that movie too, and I think. I would probably agree with you of it being number one, but the fact that it's like over an hour before Superman actually shows up in that movie, and Well, Christopher
0: been, Reeve shows up in that movie. But yes, I know what you mean.
1: Well, I mean anybody called Superman wearing a Superman costume, exhibiting any superpowers, or <laughs> fair, played. You know what I mean? Like I know how you wanted to find it. I know. But, fair. I mean, you see young Clark Kent for the second of the right, of and the he three has, acts.
0: and he's, in, and he's a young man who's clearly right. been raised but right. But there's and, no. And, and,
1: all I'm saying no, is, he's
0: running across the football field and beating the bus, remember? And his I father know, but warns that's, him the that closest that's not the closest thing there is to an action to sequence yeah. is him
1: running faster than a locomotive or kicking a football really high. It's 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 cool, it's an hour into that movie before yeah. there's any action, before you even see, see the star of the movie. Like, that's that's a decision I don't think you would make today, but it was
0: no, maybe not. But, but that's kind of it why wonder- like oh, it's wonderful. It's like an
1: old school Hollywood, like. Star studded extravaganza sweeping epic, like Gone with the Wind style, where it's like this is an But it
0: totally
2: works. No, I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like
1: it was like an it wasn't supposed to be an action movie or a superhero movie. There were no superhero movies. It was the first, right? Mm -hmm. Except with the exception of the Batman sixty-six movie, which is its own separate thing, you know. This was the this was the (laughs) first big budget superhero (laughs) movie, and it set the template for that as like, oh, we'll make it like a two and a half hour version of the origin where usually you don't even see Right, the the origin doesn't even end until like halfway during the movie, be it you know the Sam Raimi, Raimi Spider Man movie or Batman Begins. Like you see Christian Bale from the beginning of Batman Begins, but that's just because that movie is sort of told out of sequence. Right, by the time you see the end of his origin, it is like halfway through that movie. It's just that you've also seen the present leading up to that, you know. So it really set the template. But it was it was like a, a sweeping epic, old Hollywood style sweeping epic, more than it was a superhero action movie. And so you can get away with not having Superman show up until or Lex mm-hmm. Luthor or Lois Lane show up until an hour into the movie, you know. And it was it was so impactful that it's that version of Krypton and the look of Krypton, the sound of Krypton, their technology with the crystals. It's that, you know, that's the version of Krypton that everybody kind of responds to now, and it's because of it's because of that movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's my favorite. And then, so as I said, number two is going to be the animated version. And I'm thinking about which one I liked better, Smallville or Man of Steel. And I think
1: that's hmm. a real apples to oranges comparison I because know. Smallville, depending on how you want to define origin, Smallville was like an origin that lasted for ten, ten years. Ten years. That's but what I'm if saying. you want to just talk about the Krypton stuff and the landing on Earth and like the discovering his powers on the farm stuff, it would even that is hard to nail down because. All of those that
0: first season is him trying. Well, you don't to even see. He, he
1: doesn't even hear the word Krypton. He doesn't even learn that he's from Krypton until season two. Yeah, in the episode that Christopher Reeve guest yeah. started. Yeah. So. You don't see Krypton, you don't see flashbacks, you don't see an actor playing his father until several years into the show. So you'd almost have to pick and choose scenes from throughout the entire 10 years In to piece together to... what we would think of as the traditional linear Superman origin. So you you can't really just look at the pilot of Smallville. And Why'd say that's you put the, this on there then? <laughs> because it, because that's what, cause it's a version of Superman's origin. It's just like one that took 10 years to tell and yeah. was a very different thing like I have
0: to say I really did appreciate it though I mean I think that Smallville did a great job so I'm gonna rank it above Man of Steel even though Man of Steel was incredibly action-packed and pretty creative and uh impactful because I do remember like it's hard to tell a story that you've heard before in a way that's interesting and yet they managed it in Man of Steel.
1: Just the, the, Do you visuals, know what I mean? the visuals, the visuals of their were version stunning. of Krypton. Propel- and again, their it version of technology was really you were interesting. Nervous like for the this almost organic metal that moves around, that too. The, the way that they're like holograms aren't really ho- like holograms but like these beads that like, you know right, what I mean? Co- like those metal filings and, that coalesce into themselves. something that yeah. you want to see, you know, it's all very interesting and the idea that the Phantom Zone it's like this wormhole in space that they would like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not just the little square of glass that flies around and comes and gets you when you're surrounded <laughs> yeah. by the rings, you know? I know, I know. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's been like a bad, there's probably been bad versions of the origin in the comics, but I, I don't think, I, none of these are bad. It's just, they're all, they're all, they all focus on very different things. Like, Man yeah. of Steel was like 15 minutes at the beginning, then boom, we smash cut to Henry Cavill, right. you know, saving people in the present, you know? Mm-hmm. Superman the movie took like an hour to get through. You know, the first act on Krypton was probably 20 or 25 minutes and then mm-hmm. another 20 minutes or so in Smallville and then we finally get to Metropolis, you know. Superman the Animated Series was one episode and a bit out of a three-part three pilot. So the first 25 minutes was all Krypton. Mm-hmm. And then second episode was like 10 minutes of Smallville stuff and then cuts to the present. And then yep. Smallville, the show... Mm-hmm. Fills in the time when, in most of these other origins, you see him discover his powers on the farm, and then you smash cut to Metropolis ten years later. Smallville fills in those ten years, so right, it's kind exactly. of it's a different period of the history than we've ever seen before. And i you know a lot of us have a soft spot for Smallville because it it did a lot of things first in live action that we'd never seen before. Yeah. It had some great versions of a lot of characters, mm-hmm. um, cl- iconic moments that I'll never forget, like the episode the the first episode that Christopher Reeve was in. Yeah, like that's that was one of the most powerful. hours of TV I'd ever seen like because they they didn't just have Christopher Reeve in there that was the first time that they used the John Williams music so Clark walks in to see Christopher to to see Virgil Swan who's the character Christopher Reeve is playing you hear the strains of John Williams Krypton theme in the background as he's learning about where he's from it's the first time you ever hear like he learns his name is Kal-El he hears the message from his parents and you've been watching the show for almost two years up to that point so you're invested in this version of the character as like his own person this kid who's for a year and a half he's been struggling to figure out why am I the way I am? Where do I come from? And here Christopher Reeve walks in. The second you see him on screen, you, like if you're yeah. of our generation, <laughs> it has such an impact already. And you hear that music and you hear Christopher Reeve say the word kal to him and tell him who he is. Yeah. Like, that's, that was just an incredible moment. <laughs> I'm choking television.
0: up just remembering it.
1: So, I mean, you have moments like that in Smallville that you, you don't get anywhere else because nobody else... There's never going to be some comic book writer who sits down to says, you know what? I'm going to write a monthly comic book series for 10 years that, tells, <laughs> yeah. that takes 10 years to tell Superman's origin. Nobody's ever going to take 10 years to tell Superman's origin probably right. ever again. Right. Yeah. So, and they, there's stuff they could have done better. But, the, I mean, when you look at where they started and where they ended up, yeah, like it was stops and starts along the way. And, the, you know, there were a few sort of dead years in there where it seemed yeah. like the show didn't know quite what to do. But on, on total, I think that they... If you, if you were to say, how well, is, how well would it work if you take 10 years to tell Superman's origin? I think that you would imagine it would be an unmitigated disaster. Because that's yeah. a story where you know <laughs> yeah. how it begins and you know how it ends. But you're kind of like, well, is there much interesting in the middle there? Like right. other people have told interesting versions like Superman Birthright, which was Mark Wade's version of the origin. Did some interesting stuff with like, well, yeah, there were 10 years or so there after he left Smallville where he basically traveled the world Bruce Wayne style. Right. And, and learned how to use his powers, and learned what he wanted to do with them. Like when he, because when he leaves Smallville, he doesn't really know who he is. You know, he thought he was human most of his life. Yep. And he learns that he's adopted. He learns that he's an alien. He sees this message from his parents. Sees his ship in the barn or whatever. Um, was kind of left with more questions than answers. Like now he knows what he is, but he has to like figure out who he wants to be, basically. Right. But most versions just jump forward. I somehow, somewhere in there, he discovered he wanted to wear tights fly around and save people in Metropolis and be a reporter and fake being a guy with glasses and Mm -hmm. being Mm mild-mannered, right? But you hardly ever get to see how he makes those decisions. But the cool thing about Birthright is it shows like there's this whole sequence where he goes to Africa and there's like this um, civil rights movement in Africa that he gets involved in and people die there and like it's it's a really formative experience Mm -hmm. for him. And that's when he kind of gets this desire to be a reporter and everything. He comes back and we see him with with his parents in Smallville, figuring out, like, okay, now what? how am I going to do this? Like, if I'm going to pretend to be, if I'm going to have to be two people, mm-hmm. then which one of them is going to be the disguise and which is not? And they're mm-hmm. like, well, Superman, you know, Superman, should he's going to be wearing this costume. He, sh- he should, like, have a mask or something. And, the, and his parents were like, no, Superman, I don't think they had the name because, of course, Lois came up with the name. But they're like, no, right. who you are when you're saving people, they have to see you. For who right, you are, right? If if someone comes in doing all the things you can do and being as powerful as you are, and they can't look you in the eye and see your face, it's going to scare them. Yeah, the suit needs to be colorful, primary colors, mm-hmm. so they can see you coming. The only way they'll trust you is if they sense that you're not trying to hide anything. So you can't wear a mask; you have to be completely open. Mm-hmm. You have to wear this bright, colorful costume so they can see you coming from a mile away and be reassured, right? Right. And that, therefore, Clark Kent has to be the disguise, yeah. and it's like this tragedy for him because he's been Clark Kent his whole life, and mm-hmm. now Clark Kent has to be kind of made into the butt of a joke Mm -hmm. so that he can achieve this greater purpose so i know superman birthright was a great version of the origin but you know that's the sort of interstitial period that most of these other versions jump over with the exception of smallville smallville kind of got there at the end where you see him figuring out that he needs to wear the glasses Mm -hmm. and be kind of frumpy and so on they use like the last three episodes and just
0: kind of slouch a little bit yeah he doesn't have this if they'd had
1: a 10-year plan i would have like oh like realistically, before he left high school, he probably should have started wearing the glasses because now it doesn't make much sense on Smallville. Sure. he's been He's known these people his whole life. He's been working at the Daily Planet for years mm-hmm. as Clark Kent, not wearing glasses and acting confidently. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he shows up at work the next day acting completely differently and wearing glasses. And Superman is out there saving people, looking exactly like Clark Kent did the yeah. day before. Yeah. It, it makes zero sense, but you're not supposed to... You know, right. but they they kind of dug the wrong. They waited too long to deploy right, right. the mild mannerisms and the glasses and everything because they didn't want to put Tom Welling. I yes. mean, he could have done it. He was great when they actually right, had, exactly. but he'd had ten years to grow into the role. I don't know if he would have been as good at it. You know, in the beginning when of it, he was yeah. twenty years old and he was you know first is like basically one of his first acting jobs. So I don't know. Um, but they got there eventually. But you know, there were there were hits and misses. But so yeah, I think that so so your ranking is the the Donner movie, then um, Superman the Air Ray series, then. Smallville mm-hmm. than Man of Steel or Man of Steel than Smallville?
0: Smallville than Man of Steel. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think Yeah, I think mine would have to be similar. I might put Smallville above the animated series just because there's mm. so much more there.
2: Yeah.
1: I think that the animated series, if you had to condense the entire origin into like 30 or 35 minutes of 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 mid-budget animation, mm-hmm. I don't think you could do much better than that, but Smallville had live-action actors, real real locations bigger budgets that's actual true. special effects and 10 years to tell their story right that it's it's almost an unfair comparison but the the Donner movie because they had an hour and a, m- yeah. massive special effects budgets like unparalleled special effects mm-hmm. budgets for the time and actors like Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman and mm-hmm. you know even the even Glenn Ford yeah on a, you know like John <laughs> when you think of that scene where he he's racing Clark up to the farmhouse and then realizes he's having a heart attack and fault like that yeah. that's like yeah. That's, that's like I'll an incredible never, moment. Yeah, in exactly. The film. And then he yeah. gets to the house and Clark, and Martha stands up and sees him and screams his name and Clark is playing with a dog and doesn't realize what happened first and then he turns around and sees his father lying there and you see the camera pulls out to this really wide shot, mm-hmm. which I always thought was a great thing because it almost feels like the camera doesn't want to intrude. Like yeah. Like this is too personal what's happening right now. You see them rush up to him yeah. and B can only barely hear what they're saying and how they're acting around him and then it cuts to the funeral. Like, I mean, just obviously Richard Donner. Directed the hell out of that movie, obviously, yeah, so. yeah. and all the actors did a great job. So, yeah, I mean, that's you know, that's one of the formative movies of my life, and and obviously a very important character to me. So, it's it would be hard to rank anything above that. But Small <laughs> Smallville, just by Dintovitz, a breath of enormity yeah. of material and the number of things they did they did right. I think I might actually have to put above Superman the Animated Series and Men of Steel. I also really like, but it really felt like they were just cram as much cool stuff as we can into ten minutes so we can get to the present. One thing that I think Man of Steel did that was cool though is they had um, they had the, the I mean like in the Donner movies the stuff that happens in the last half of the movie is almost completely unconnected to the stuff that happens in the first half because it's not until totally Superman 2 mm-hmm. that you get the Phantom Zone criminals come back yep, right Yep. but the Lex Luthor stuff has nothing to do with the first half of the movie you know what I mean? Right. Whereas Man of Steel, was kind of cool is that all the stuff that's set up in the movie with Zod and the Phantom Zone and Russell Crowe, like, that all comes back at the end. It seems more cohesive as a story. Like, the fallout of the origin comes back to haunt Superman mm-hmm. 30 years later, and he has to deal with the repercussions. And Russell Crowe is there as, like, the hologram, which I guess they also did with Marlon Brando a little bit in the movie. But there was almost like a computer, like a, like a, a textbook Mm-hmm. that you could see that mm-hmm. was talking to him in the fortress of solitude right. whereas russell crowe was like even though he was a hologram he had the cool sequence where he was helping lois lane escape from the kryptonian ship even but he could like be everywhere so she he would tell her to go that way and she'd run around the corner and he'd be there already pointing the way she had to go you know yep so they did some cool stuff with it there but yeah so i think that's a great version of of the origin i mean the problems that people have with man of steel aren't really the krypton stuff it's more like the stuff at the end of the movie the, the characterization right. of Superman and yeah. some of the later parts of the movie. So, yeah, but I think as the origin goes, it was a really cool, like, if you had to really action it up, mm-hmm. you know, turn it into like a blockbuster spectacle, then I think it did mm-hmm. a great job. And the, I know I, nobody's ever, people probably have, but of all the things you can say about the Zack Snyder movies, they they always look incredible. Like, you, however much money they spend on them and however many people that worked in the design and the production and the cinematography, like, you can see all that on screen. Like, mm-hmm. it is a sight to behold, those Krypton sequences, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas with the 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 Jeffrey Unsworth, I think was the name of the photographer, the DP on, on Superman the movie, like, those Krypton scenes there, like, when you think about what they had to do on... They had a lot of money, but this is, like, 1970s we're talking about. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it was like Star Wars, where they had a decent amount of money for the time, but they had to make do they there were no computers, like everything had to be done practically with miniatures or matte paintings mm-hmm. or or just good good old fashioned like design work that evoked something. So like you can there's a lot more intricacy, I guess, and a lot more detail and a lot more things going on mm-hmm. in the Man of Steel Krypton. Mm-hmm. But just those stark crystalline formations and miniatures and those the just something you can do with as simple as materials like mm-hmm. those reflective suits they had the Kryptonians wear that don't look like anything when you're on set but when the cameras are turned on them and the lights they just they they're like luminescent you know and right. you know, everybody remembers oh those glowing white clothes everybody on Krypton wore mm-hmm. and the big holographic heads and the spinning circles around the Phantom Zone criminals and the big two dimensional piece of glass that comes in and traps them in the Phantom Zone and like everybody right. remembers. The all the hallmarks of the design work on Krypton there, so yeah, just just incredible stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'd have to put that at number one. Yeah. So should that we talk about awesome. our shows? Yes, I'm ready. So most of our shows are over. So we just have uh, we've got a few episodes of Agents of Shield and then the pilot of Swamp Thing. Yep. So how are you enjoying the season of Agents of Shield so far? We've talked about the first episode or great. two, but we've got a, a few new ones that we.
0: Yeah, this show is great. I, I it's hard for me to, after seeing all of these episodes. Um, spaced out, even though it's been a few weeks, um, it's hard for me to remember what happened in which episode because they well, the, do jump from one we've got, set we've of characters got, we've got three we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. The first
1: one is the one where, uh, I call him Coulson, call him Sarge, whatever you want I to Sarge. call him. They have, he's they, not they, Coulson, he's they pull, Sarge. They pull like that. Well, I think we're being led to believe that he was he's like a Coulson at one yeah, point. He's like alternate The name sounds Coulson. familiar to him. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know it's as good name as any, but Sarge is what they call. Is where they go into that jewelry store and pull that heist, and there's like the portals in the wall, and yeah. May jumps through them. So that, that was, that was a two very episodes cool ago. Episode, yeah. um, and that's interspersed with uh, da- Daisy job. and Simmons and them trying to find Fitz in space. Right. And then the episode after that was the one that took place entirely in space, yes. on like the casino planet, yes. where they're trying to Hilarious, find him.
2: Hilarious. And then the most the recent way.
1: episode was the one that took place entirely on Earth mm-hmm. with a Deeks new startup. Yes. Where they have to save him from Sarge when Sarge and his crew come to get him. So yep. those those are the three.
0: And so now Sarge is hunting down um, seemingly hunting down other aliens. And right. Like it seems to be anomalies. kind of
1: similar to whether it's a coincidence or not, but it seems to be similar to the people that are hunting down Fitz in space because he's an aberration. Right? Like the guy they had handcuffed oh, in the Zephyr right. there they, that then got loose.
0: Um, Chrom- is or Is he another Chronicon? Chronicon?
1: Chromacon, Chromachameleon.
0: Chromachroma chroma chromacameleon. Yeah. Yes, yeah, funny. <laughs> but that's
1: presumably not what Sargent's no. people are, but mm-hmm. it, and they seem to have a different end goal, but and they're it, yeah. they both seem to involve seemingly disposing of people that don't belong there. Yeah. Although the guy we saw in this episode I didn't
0: make that connection until just now.
1: Although the guy we saw in this episode. It's, I guess he didn't belong there because he was an alien or something. Yes, exactly. But they didn't. They didn't seem like he'd... they said
0: he came from a different world. Right. So they know clearly. They know about parallel worlds, and clearly this but entire they, team they is like, from a different world like
1: they didn't just dispatch that guy because he didn't belong there, though. They implanted that thing inside him to try, turn him into like a living dorm- weapon, like a zombie, living zombie weapon almost. Whereas I got the sense of the guys. Do you remember? Like they implanted that bat thing in him that was going to turn him into the that was going to basically make him. They Remember? didn't
0: implant that bat in him. The bat was the alien. You didn't get that, or at least that's how not I. That's how I, I interpreted thought that, it. I thought that no, they... they stabbed the bat inside the guy. That's what made him anomalous. Is that he was taken over and he was. Uh, they said he was a 51-year-old whatever. He abandoned his family. When oh. they found him in the station, he was already taken over by the alien. They stabbed him in the chest because that's where the alien was. Okay,
1: I misunderstood that. I thought there was a line of dialogue that made it sound like when Sarge stabbed that guy, mm-hmm. he was like implanting him with this alien so parasite that was their as, a, as a means of getting getting that pos- presumably into S.H.I.E.L.D. or like like getting, yeah, putting I know that in there say. so that then they could blow him up later right, or Right, because
0: um, Yo-Yo and... The professor dude were trying to figure out benton? in the autopsy yeah what they were ben, no
1: benson benton ben- is, <laughs> benson? A dude. yeah benson
0: they were trying to figure out what was going on when they were doing the autopsy and then the bat came to life and they were yeah, saying okay, okay I, whatever your,
1: your your version makes a lot more sense i i either misunderstood or i was still basing my thought process of an, old, of an old theory they had that was later right
0: debunked superseded
1: yeah, yeah that makes a lot more sense um,
0: so I don't know why it went all crystalline and whatever else but the bat was injured and it started to tear apart yo-yos
1: well that's kind of what it was doing also. to that, that's why I thought it was something they'd implanted in him because when they got to the corpse mm-hmm. of the guy that started stabbed he had those the crystalline stuff like poking out of him yes and then when it got into Keller it was going like full bore like it was really bursting out of him that's probably because so he had already that thing been stabbed, does to people yeah. I guess but
0: uh, yeah I don't know
1: I don't know but I mean yo-yo had to stab him to prevent him from like Completely destroying the whole base right. and killing everybody with the, that crystal information. Right. But yeah, I'm not quite sure why the original guy that was killed had the crystals coming out of him. I thought that was, I don't know. I I, I would need to rewatch that because I think I, maybe I missed something there. I but.
0: don't know the function of the knife, but they were targeting the aliens and that's why they all. But
1: looked. then did they miss? Because that alien no, didn't die, got it. it got out and got, went to Keller.
0: No, they only did that because they took the body into autopsy and they removed the knife, and the bat had a chance to sort of revive itself. Is
1: that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> you can kill something, but as it soon like you take a, it's the weapon like a and vampire. It comes back to no,
0: life? no, no. It's like a vampire. You have to leave the stake in the vampire or it'll come back to life.
1: All right. And say you're fired and then go back down, like in the <laughs> Simpsons episode.
0: Oh, that's funny. Super oh. fun happy slide. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's been a while since I've seen that episode. That's
1: awesome. Did everybody wash your necks like Mr. Burns asked?
0: Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. um, we should do a Simpsons podcast. <laughs> there aren't enough of those on the internet. Um let's see. Where was I going with my point?
1: I'm not sure we had a point there. We were just trying to figure out what was going on. did you what what was your over under on how long that Keller guy would survive? I was sort of I thought
0: for sure he was gonna be a season favorite.
1: I thought after the first couple of episodes he was maybe gonna gonna stick, stick around, around, but I was getting that's some vibes bummer. in this episode that now like as soon as as the thing went in him like you could see it going one of two ways this is either like where they save him Mm -hmm. and yo-yo realizes like how much he cares about him right and then he becomes like a fixture for the rest of the season or this is like the goodbye the swans his tragic end and like yo-yo and mac like find their way back to each other by the end of the season or something so i was i was leaning more to like once he got that thing in him i'm like you know what i feel like the season could use with like a, a a shock, a shock death of like yeah. someone we're coming to like, and so I, as soon as he got infected by that thing, I'm like, yeah, I think he's probably gonna die.
0: Oh, I didn't see it coming. I thought for sure they were gonna figure out a way to save him, especially since Yo-Yo had the the superpowers. I am surprised. Like she only got to use her superpowers to strap him down. That was a little bit anticlebactic for me. I thought for sure when the ba- anti nice. <laughs> I thought for sure when the back creature was going in there, she had just the iota of a second to.
1: Well, it out I did, of him or catch I did,
0: the bat, like she's faster than the creature. I mean,
1: the I think the explanation is that she was shocked, she was especially shocked, with I what know. was going on with Keller. But I did find myself thinking, gee, it's too bad there's nobody around here with super speed and invulnerable metal arms, yeah. that, could, <laughs> that could grab that a could flying alien it, creature. Yeah. Um, and
0: when the doctors, when Benson, Benson, I'm said, not sure which, don't judge the... him, he's super hot. I'm like, she has metal arms. What is well, like, how hot is she?
1: Burn and melt, and I don't know, can she feel pain in those arms? I'm not sure, I, I can't know. remember. Um, but yeah, it's still it's still a danger, I suppose. Um, yeah, no, I think it's I think the, these episodes are really good. I, and don't forget, we're like a third of the way through the season now because this is a shortened season. This is only twelve or thirteen episodes, and we've had four or five now. So yeah. we're like we're almost halfway through the season already. As crazy as that is. At least we know we're definitely getting at least one more season. What
0: did you think of Melissa Tanker in in, in this episode?
1: Marissa Tankeron
0: Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying.
1: I like her very much. Great. So I'm she's, doing. She's always good. She's
0: hilarious. She's so good. I'm an influencer. I never go in through the front door. This was, I slayed me. This was, I was her so biggest. Role.
1: I mean, I don't know if she's done a lot of other. I've just seen her in other Whedon productions. So she had a a small role in a couple of episodes of Dollhouse, and then she was one of the Captain Hammer groupies in Doctor Horrible. Um,
2: that's fun. But this is by far the largest,
1: <laughs> most ex- extended. And, of course, she is, for those who don't know, she is one of the executive producers and showrunners on the show. Yep. And she is also married to Jedweed and the other executive producer and showrunner on the show. So I don't know why mm-hmm. she chose to, I mean, I don't know. Like, whether she just thought it would be fun or sometimes the way it happens yeah. is, like, they have someone else booked and then, like, someone falls through. I've definitely And they're like, well, happen. I'll just do it, you know? Yeah, I was so. literally
0: on a movie set where I had to step in on a roll and, like, grab a coat and a bit of makeup just because I was filling in shoes for somebody who dropped out.
1: I think that was why, like, there was something in Batman before. the Animated Series where, like, there was a character that Bruce Tim voiced or something, and it was literally because the person they had booked just, like, didn't show up that day or something, and so well, he had to do it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, sometimes that happens. But it yep. does feel like it was kind of like, I don't know, maybe it was just she thought it would be fun or...
0: I mean, yeah, because she did wear multiple costumes for her, so maybe she, the person didn't show up for the first day, and then she just kind of kept Of course, it. just
1: because their EP, she's the EP, doesn't necessarily mean that she... She plans everything herself. Like maybe sure. the writers' room said, you know, it would be fun. Let's write this character and then convince Marissa to play her. You know, it doesn't mean it was her idea. <laughs> like that know, would be a little too. self-serving. I so. kind of want to
0: know the behind-the-scenes on it too, because although it's not like
1: Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon wrote himself into a few episodes too. Like do the dance of joy number, like that was an angel, like that was Joss Whedon stuff. So.
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. Was yeah,
1: it? it was. Yeah. That's- I mean, it's a long history. Do the
0: dance of Shame.
1: There's long history of actors, directors <laughs> writing. Like uh, Peter Jackson had a small role in all the Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock was notorious for doing it. Yeah. You know, so it's you know, it's it's not like it's the ultimate vanity move or anything, but <laughs> yeah, so it was fun. fun. So, so what about Swamp Thing? So this was this was something very different than what we've seen. I mean, closest tonally probably to Titans in terms of its dark atmosphere, but whereas Titans was like. Um, dark action superhero, this is like horror. This is like supernatural horror, basically. Right. Um, so we've got a, a lot of the characters from the comics already. We've got Abby Arcane.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we've got... Um, I don't know why. I was doing this in the episode, too. I was blanking on the name of Swamp Thing. Alec, Alec Holland. Holland. That's it. Dr. Alec Holland. Yeah. I couldn't believe What is wrong with me? Um, Flip-flops. A bunch of that other characters. Yeah, me. like uh, we'll talk about the characterization. Um, <laughs> a bunch of other characters in the comics. So we've got uh, Liz Tremaine, who's Abby's old friend, who's a reporter still for like a small newspaper working yeah, out of the... What's cool. the name of the town? Uh, Murray? Murray. Yeah. Um, we've got Matt Cable who's a cop, who's another old childhood friend oh, of Abby's. cool. Um, in the comics, they actually end up getting married. So I don't know if that will happen here. Um, and uh, let's see. We've got the Sunderlands, right? Maria Sunderland and her husband, whose name I've been trying to think of all day, Mr. Sunderland, the big industrialist guy, who sort of run this... I, I, I'm i not sure we're 100% sure on exactly what they do, like chemical manufacturing of some kind. I don't know. Uh, some, yeah. Like... Drilling, like I don't know what. What do you do in a place like that? That's a, that's a major corporate concern.
0: But but whatever it is, based he on was natural funding Alec yes. research. And so clearly, there's something in the swamp that he's researching. But somebody and is a, getting, some, but
1: somebody know. is putting the accelerant mm-hmm. in the swamp, right? So so what what seems like is happening is that somebody is putting this accelerant in the swamp. And my theory is, I mean, based on what I know from the Swamp Thing, like it was clearly having. The swamp was clearly killing the people that were Mm -hmm. there, right? So I think that someone was basically like poisoning the green and the green was fighting back and killing the people that kept coming out in boats to dump this accelerant. Yep. Um, And it took Alec Holland and turned Holland into 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 their avatar because it sensed in him someone who would be willing to fight for the green and not like all the other people that came there, just someone that was out for their own... Mm -hmm. good uh, own ends or they're herded or whatever. So I think this is like the green fighting back basically. So I mean the obvious finger to point out would be the Sunderlands because we're sort of trained oh big corporate industrialist tycoons they must be the ones poisoning the environment right? Yeah. Um,
0: The 1% is evil yeah. But
1: that's my that's my running theory so far. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the show just in 55 minutes did a remarkable job characterizing so we, we get a really good sense so I think the cast is really impressive too. Like some people I've seen other things Crystal Reed Virginia Ab- Madsen. Crystal Reed playing Abby, we obviously know from Gotham. Yep. Virginia Madsen's been a, t- a ton of stuff. Um, Andy, I think it's Andy Bean um, playing Alec Holland. I, he seems vaguely familiar to me, but it might just be right. because um, he looks a lot like the guy that played opposite Tim Daly in Wings to me, the guy that was also on Studio 60 as the corporate guy. Um, he blank. looks a little like a younger version of him to me, and so that might be why he seems <laughs> familiar to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like and and then of course Virginia Madsen, like I said, the guy playing her husband. I've um, seen him in a million. Even the things smaller too. roles: L- Liz Tremaine, Matt Cable. Um, they made an impression too. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think that the way that this is structured is kind of smart, actually, because we probably won't be seeing a lot more of Alec Holland. We'll see Swamp Thing, but I think I think that the show is kind of positioned as Abby's show. Yes, which is mm-hmm. probably smart. Um, there were the the classic Alan Moore Swamp Thing run didn't it was there were moments, there were there were times when it was like that, but Swamp Thing was still the character that had like the the narration boxes. Like it was mostly told from his perspective. I think it's smart though to have Abby be like the audience identification character that is like that because was pulled deeper and deeper into this strange world mm-hmm. and have Swamp Thing at first at least, until he's prob- presumably like ultimately humanized and, you know, do whatever and if they're gonna go like full romance with them like the comics did. But have And be like this this strange, unknowable, almost scary figure at first, even though we, the audience, mm-hmm. know that it's Alec Holland under there. Mm-hmm. You know, like it might be kind of, you know what I mean? And then sort of her journey. But I think they did a great job. Like we get the sense immediately. And it's sort of a bit of a cliched shorthand, her first scene, where she takes off her little hazmat suit to comfort the kids. Yeah. Like it's sort of a, an easy way of showing that she's empathetic. And, and like, heroic. Heroic, makes human connections. But, but then over the course of the episode, she's deepened tremendously. We are learning about, like, seemingly the mistakes she's made in the past. Like, mm-hmm. she holds herself responsible for the death of her, her high school best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she left the town in shame, it seems like. So it was, like, the moment when she turned her life around decided to make something of herself. But it has this incredible cost that's still hanging over mm-hmm. her. This fa- these, these two people that were, like, family to her and now hate her guts. You know what I yeah. mean? So she's got this incredible guilt that she's carrying around and this... this like a, this, like fond remembrance of, but also like disdain for this place where she grew up. Yes, at the same time, mm-hmm. Alec Holland is this interesting version. Like I, Alec Holland is kind of like like the classic version of Barry Allen, where he never really had much of a personality. He was just like a good guy, you oh, know, like okay. a smart scientist, good guy. Right. Just like here,
0: he's got clean-cut white
1: lab coat. Yeah. Well mannered, smart, articulate—just like Silver Age stock comic book hero guy. Here they kind of made him into like a bit of a hippie, almost (laughs) a little, which is interesting. But they still, but I think it was it was well acted and it was it was well written in the sense that he also is carrying around mistakes that he's made, Mm -hmm. like he falsified some of his results. But I think the reason you're still kind of on board with him as a hero, if not necessarily a hero yet, then at least an antagonist, like a sympathetic figure, right? Is because. He was convinced, I mean, I guess probably most people that falsify the results are convinced they're right. Not all of them. Some of them know that they're wrong, but still, but just want the accolades and the money and so on anyway. But in his case, he was convinced he was right. He was convinced it would do some good. Yes. And he was kind of willing to take the chance that he would be discredited in order to achieve that end. And it ended up coming back to bite him, you know. So that's an interesting wrinkle to the character. And yeah, he's got this sort of like hippie attitude where he's wearing flip-flops and like, wrinkled shirts and his lab is like in the middle of nowhere in the swamp and he's got like a cot over there in the corner and he's got a rack full of beer that he he
0: has a good yeah and he has a good instinct like he's definitely more job than anything else and he's passionate about what he studies what he works and what he researches and it's interesting because at least from that conversation where he was talking about that past failure, we were led to believe that it has something to do with what he's up to now. Like that swamp thing. Yeah. It seems like he's tracking down and not able to prove the existence of the green, but he sees that it's there in a way that nobody else does. It could be something
1: like that. I imagine that that's probably why the Sunderlands brought him in is because discredited though he was, his research was along these lines. Right, You know, like Mm -hmm. something to do with Plant like accelerated plant growth or signs of intelligence in certain forms of plants or something like that that they that would brought them into especially if you know as as would be the obvious theory they're responsible although hmm, if they're responsible for it. Wouldn't they want to bring in a complete idiot to try to investigate it to make it look like they're doing their due diligence and in investigating the weirdness in the town when, in the fact, they don't actually want anything to come? And of this it? is
2: the
0: brilliant part about not knowing where the show is going with this because I actually thought, obviously, that they're putting in the the water into the the green, but and studying the effects of it. But they hired him to study the effects of it, but obviously they didn't tell him that they're putting in other things into the the water so it's like they want to verify that something hmm S- this is this is another theory right because they want a competent scientist to record what's happening and they are keeping back from him the fact that they're generating it on purpose yeah in i order don't know about that like you think
1: you would think that if they this guy had had a big corporation a lot of money and means at his disposal he could have like his staff scientists who are on his payroll and who he could just like make disappear Pull the in a second? Of, yeah, like just have have his own guys, doctor, the guys, no the guys that created the accelerant and know exactly what to look for and what's going on. Study the effects of it instead of bringing in some patsy who doesn't quite even know what he's looking for. Like, yeah, something to be said for a fresh set of eyes, and maybe he's like the preeminent genius in this field. He's just been discredited, so no one will believe him. But do you think that if you're mm. if you're smart enough, you've got the resources and scientists on hand to develop this stuff, you could afford to study its repercussions too so there's something something missing i'm not entirely convinced that he's responsible for yeah, what's going on we'll see um i mean i guess one twist would be do you think it's the big corporate tycoon guy and it turns and it out maybe, it maybe it's not him but it's his wife or something trying to do you know what maybe. i mean because virginia Madsen is the bigger name oh yeah than the, the fellow who did a great job but whoever he is that they, that they got to play scene the husband between her so, and
0: um who abby? plays abby crystal reed crystal reed that scene between those two actresses was profoundly powerful it was so great and it would talk about characterization like you find out in just that one scene who they are and what they're about and the fact it was a very deep scene it was very nice because it was just at a a table and so emotionally impactful with just two women sitting and talking and it's very rare to have that um be so done so well done and I think my favorite part was when Virginia Madsen's character says that the only reason that she's not throwing her out right there is because she genuinely cares about what's happening in the town and she wants the best to out of out of uh, out of her in order to fix what's happening and she recognizes that that may be true and she will put up with everything else in order to save the town. And you you feel that character really means it, although she has her claws out, you know? And it's... I just really like it because it, it just sets everything up so beautifully in such a short amount of time. This was a very good pilot.
1: I think the most impressive thing was that, I mean, we've seen a million TV episodes, a lot of them Star Trek, <laughs> where the main character... Swoops into a town, meets someone, has an instant connection with them, falls in love, and then they're tragically separated by the end. And we're and we're sitting there thinking, like, can you really like can you really fall in love with someone in like a day and like forty five minutes of television? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. we're supposed to believe that Kirk or Janeway or even Picard or someone like that formed any sort of lasting bond with this person over such a short period of time. Yeah, but I think it's impressive here that. Yeah, we're not supposed to think that they fell passionately in love with each other right. or whatever. They didn't even, like, touch each other over the course of the episode, with the exception of right. perhaps huddling together when that zombie that, creature in the morgue came right, to life. Right. But their scenes between them were plentiful enough and and well-written enough mm-hmm. that, I, that I don't have much trouble buying that once she figures out that this swamp thing is Alec Holland, that they formed enough of a connection yeah. early on... That there was enough there where where I think they were probably both thinking, yeah, maybe there might be something here. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe I might want to start, you know, start a relationship with this person. And it was to be be cut off so tragically so early on. Like, I don't find it hard to believe that she would want to, you know, even at the risk of personal harm, Mm -hmm. find out what this creature is and whether there's any of Holland left in there and Mm -hmm. whether it can be reached and all this stuff. Like... That's the kind of thing that can come off as really contrived. Like you knew this guy for five minutes and now you're willing to risk your life yeah. and, and put up with this gross looking plant creature to yeah. try to to try to get some semblance of, of that connection back again. Like that could come off as really hard to believe. Right. But I feel like the actor sold it and the writer sold it and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like they actually established like I don't want to use the term soulmates, but they they there was enough of a like connection. Deep instant connection yeah. there Um that I that I can buy that they would and, and that and that, like, we'll see what version of Swamp Thing they go with, but in various versions, like, there's more or less of Alec Holland in there, at least to start, you know, if he's unsure of who or what he is, I, I can buy that there's, he formed enough of a connection to Abby in those few scenes that he would perhaps be drawn to her. Right, right. You know, kind of and like Frankenstein's forget- monster style, like this creature that only has like some base, base human impulse in there, but is still drawn to establish a human connection with. People.
0: But don't forget, we got a little bit of a taste of that because she was in the, uh, she was in really dire straits there when the green was attacking her, and suddenly it, it retracted. Do you yeah. remember? Mm-hmm. And that that says to us that Alec Holland is already somehow connected to the green. And although he's not even fully recovered from what just happened, it's already starting to respond to his instincts um, because he does not want to hurt her. And so the green retracted.
1: It's also possible, of course, there's a lot other. Uh, I mean, if they do, if they do like, say, Jason Woodrow, the Floronic man in here, who's sort of like, Oh, that's cool. Sort of like in various versions. I've like
0: never seen this person. Swamp Thing's so opposite number.
1: He's like kind of like an evil plant-based oh, that's guy. A shame. Um, then it's possible that like it was Woodrow responsible for killing those people at the beginning. Like maybe the twist could be that like Ooh. Sunderland is actually trying to protect the Green from Woodroo. And it was it's Woodru that's killing Sunderland's agents. Like the accelerant is actually there to like beef up the green so it can fight off Woodru's attack or something. And that, like, I don't know, there could be a lot of different things they do. But we, we shouldn't assume necessarily that it was the green that killed those people at the beginning and the green that was going to kill Abby but then thought better of it at the end. Right. It's possible that there could be some other intelligence at work here because I don't know, is it just going to be Swamp Thing versus a corporation that may or may not turn out to be evil for all 10 episodes? I think he's probably going to have to have other villains not like I mean that yeah, almost yeah. sounds reductive in a show like this but there's gonna to have to be like other there have to be obstacles that he overcomes forces. along the way So sure. I could see them doing like a stripped down version of Woodrow who's maybe just like a scientist not like this walking tree um on the show so I mean that there might be more going on than we walking than we suspect. tree
0: might be a name in high school
1: <laughs> yeah it was really good I'm really and and the music was was evocative too they did the thing that I feel like a lot of modern stuff does where there's not even a theme necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just like this one set, sa- this one discordant mm-hmm. sound. Yeah. Drrr, you yeah, know, yeah. like that's it. That's like, and like there was more to it in the opening yeah, credits. Yeah, in a minor key. But like with Swamp Thing, the theme, like Swamp Thing's theme is just like that one sort of horn blare. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But it can work. I mean, like there's a there's an evocative stuff that's been done with just like a sing- a single sound. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it can work for something like this where it's like literally a force of nature Yes, you know, like would it really have this incredibly intricate? Well, I guess you could make the argument for something as beautiful and and intricate as like all plant life having this really interesting theme, but it's a force of nature and a destructive one at that, as we see in this episode, or at least it can be. So it could just have this one driving sound, and maybe it'll develop later into a more elaborate. They'll have more elaborate themes going on later as as it develops, but yeah, and musically and visually, really. Interesting. The only problem is when you're trying to stream a show like this and there's a lot of scenes at night lit by like small lights, like flashlights or torches or something. Right. And a lot of branches. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes the streaming compression can kind of fall down where you get some artifacting and stuff in in certain areas. But, but I mean, look, it looks great. So, I mean, all these DC Universe shows have looked great. Titans looked great. Yeah. Doom Patrol looked great.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: They definitely, they definitely spent a lot of money on these shows. Like they've got good actors. Yep. They've got high production values. You know, good music, good writers. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're they're,
2: they're not definitely skimping, no. They're, no.
1: There's, they're four for four so far, right? If you want to include Young Justice in there, which is maybe unfair because it's a property they inherited from yeah, years before the service existed. Yeah, come but, on now. That's, but it was their choice to bring it back. That's true. Like they saw. That's it, true. They, they had the choice of shows to bring back, and they picked Young probably Justice. the best candidate. I know.
0: I know. Such so. a good call. <laughs> But no, I'm enjoying it very much so far, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens next. And yeah, they—it has definitely a more horror theme than all of the other shows. But I guess that fits in the nature, no pun intended, of what the show is about. And um, I can deal with it. <laughs> I don't usually go for horror, but I can deal with it. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Yep. Is that's that it? it for us. Yep.
0: Okay, so if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about...
2: Ooh. <laughs>